0: Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. We are in Daniel chapter 10. This is our second episode in Daniel chapter 10, episode 167, and we're talking about Geographical Rulership by Unseen Powers. And we're doing a couple episodes on Daniel 10 on this topic because the very notion of what's going on here is unknown to many people. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has been praying for, let's see, three weeks, 21 days, and he just very earnestly, repenting, fasting, praying, and then in Daniel chapter 10, we find this radiant heavenly messenger shows up, and he says to Daniel, "'Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your mind to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days.' but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So I left him there with the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is to befall your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, we're talking about, at this point, the switch from the Babylonian to the Persian Empire, and this heavenly messenger is wanting to come, and reveal to Daniel what is gonna happen to God's people, but there's an opposition from the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, you're just casually reading this, and you might think, well, did some member of the royal court oppose this angelic messenger? No, as I described last time, this is referring to unseen powers ruling over geographical areas. And for those of you who may know a little bit of Greek in the Septuagint, this word for prince is basileos. It's the word in Greek for king or prince. It's actual rulership. And listen to some of these quotations from the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, talking about Satan, he's the god of this world. There's a limited sovereignty that's been handed over to Satan and the dark powers. From Jesus in John 12, verse 31, the ruler of this world. From St. Paul, Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air. And of course, that prime verse for this type of subject, Ephesians 6, principalities, powers, and the world rulers of this present darkness. Now, here's what happened. As a result of the rebellion at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, God placed the rebellious nations under the dominion of the fallen sons of Elohim, and this is sons of God, a small g, and this is a phrase in the Scripture. And what this is is kind of a, a judgment according to your rebellious wish. It's kind of like Romans chapter 1, but in this case, God says, you like darkness? I'll give you darkness, and it's a form of judgment when God gives you your wishes if you persist in going the wrong way. Now, I mentioned last time that along with Daniel 10, uh, what forms St. Paul's worldview of these principalities and powers, world rulers in the heavenly places, and these are terms that the New Testament writers, as well as the Greek world, Greek speaking world in the first century, understood to be geographic rulers of the unseen world. And today, this sounds kind of spooky and foreign and not talked about a whole lot, but it— It comes from Daniel 10 and Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8, which says, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, that is uh, referring to Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations, which then were separated in Genesis 11 after the judgment at the Tower of Babel when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, he fixed the bounds of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. And this word is literally sons of Elohim. This isn't son the Son of God referring to Jesus. The sons of God, God rules by a divine court. When we went through Revelation 10, we saw an actual description of what that heavenly court was like, and God has chosen to rule in conjunction with his heavenly court very much like ancient kings did. Now, who are these guys? This is going to take a long explanation, but I'll just give you a hint. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, "'The Nephilim were on the earth in those days,' And also afterward, when the sons of God, and in Hebrew, this is again, sons of Elohim, the same phrase that's used in Deuteronomy 32, came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, that's the children born to them, the men of renown. And all I'll say at this point, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And whatever is being described in Genesis 6, uh, we should have a very good picture of because we can project that into the future preceding the second coming. Now, here's how it works. Jesus came to liberate these Gentile nations under the power of these geographic rulers, so to speak, rulers of darkness. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, very famous verse we hear around Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Walking in darkness, that's the course of the entire world, except for the nation Israel. And I would say when God separated these nations in Genesis chapter 11, put them under the authority, according to Deuteronomy 32, the powers of the sons of Elohim, the very next chapter, God calls out Abraham. So the Jewish nation was supposed to be the only nation that wasn't walking in this profound darkness, and yet they imitated the nations around them rather than being a light to them. Hence, you have the need for the light of the world, Jesus Christ, to come and fulfill the role of ancient Israel. Now, let me uh, ask you a question. How many disciples did Jesus have? You go, "Ah I know that one. 12, that's easy, and that's true. And Matthew emphasizes that because Matthew's talking about Jesus and his role to Israel. But how many disciples are numbered in Luke chapter 10, it's 70, 70. Hmm. In other words, there's two cycles. There's an inner cycle, the, the three, and then you have the 12 within that group, and then you have the 70. Why 70? Because in Genesis, the table of nations, there are 70 groups, and Jesus came to wreck reconcile, and recover, and rescue the Gentile nation. So that's the liberty that Jesus came to do. Now, we need to understand, okay, the world's in profound darkness, as Isaiah said, the land of deep darkness. That's the whole world except for Israel, and then Israel chose to walk in darkness, and that's why they were judged. But look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18, St. Paul is praying to that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And this is, um, this is a challenge living in the West when we want everything to be very, uh, oh, I don't know, be able to squeeze it in a test tube or prove it uh, kind of scientifically and all that. And St. Paul says, you need to have the eyes of your hearts open to know the immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power, in us who believe, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand. Okay, if you're going into the heavenly court, and we've already done that in Daniel, we've already done that in the book of Revelation, but to sit at the right hand in the heavenly court means you're the chief co-regent, co-king with God the Father over all other authority. So sitting at his right hand is ultimate rulership in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 and verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in the same letter in chapter 6, applying the truth of chapter 1. And he says he's above every name that is named. So we're to recognize that um, that we're bad guys in the world, but Jesus came to cripple their power in keeping the nations of the world in profound darkness. Isn't that? great news. Now, here's some sobering news. Now, the second coming of Christ is tremendously great news, okay? We have that to look forward to. We don't have any dates, but we, with ultimate confidence we can look forward to that. But, and I'll always watch when somebody says but, but in any case, for a relatively brief time before the second coming, the darkness which pervaded the ancient world will return, and it will return with vengeance and ultimate deception. In fact, many of the world's inhabitants will think this is progress and enlightenment, while they're walking in a land that has returned to the deep darkness preceding the coming of Christ. Revelation 9 says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, He was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened. That's Revelation 9. And prior to the second coming, there will be a short period where darkness again returns to the earth. And what's this time called? It's the time of the great apostasy. Another way to describe it would be the time of the great redarkening of the world, unleashing of ancient powers. And this is my personal judgment, and I tend to wanna separate my personal judgment from the black and white of Scripture, but my personal judgment is that time is now, that we are in the great apostasy or if not, at least a great dress rehearsal for that time. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 167 of Luke 21 Radio.